Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, Michael Kingswood back at you again, and it's story time. Again, as you've come to expect. It's a pretty good week here at the Kingswood Abode. Um, did had a very interesting uh, evening on election night. I wrote a blog post about it. Got invited to one of those end of the election galas at the uh, downtown with the political people, which I'd never gone to before, and so I decided to go. And it was eh, kind of a mixed bag of man, not quite sure what to think of it. Never been a big fan of professional political people, and I guess I just kind of got reinforced with that. Oh well, but been doing some writing. Doing some working out. Uh, just got back from a run not too long ago here on the Sunday morning. And I uh, figured I should probably read you more of the story. So without further ado, we'll get into this uh, again here. Continuing on with The Champion. When last we left our hero, uh, Tim had gone through gallivanting around the universe with uh, Bartleby to learn about the the whole deal with uh, what what Bartleby needs him to do, and he agreed to become the champion. He got the emblem of light, a little pendant to wear, that would supposedly protect him, and he's told to go and go do great things. Okay, now what? Well, now we'll see what. All right, we'll be back at you again here in just a second, and again, I apologize for my lack of voice acting skills. The Champion, the fantasy novella written by me. Read by me. Part 3. Ace! Hey, Ace! Jim's voice may have been enough to wake me up on his own, given enough time, but he also shook my shoulders. Hard. I jerked awake, and for a moment I could not figure out where I was. Comfortable padding beneath my backside and against my back, bright lights, pictures of various houses and buildings on the wall, and Jim's face hovering over mine, wearing an annoyed expression. Well, then it hit me. I was in my office. Are you out partying late last night or something? Get up. He's going to be here soon. He? What was Jim talking about? Well, yeah. Then it all came back to me. Geobald Capano, the firm's new client, had an appointment with me and Jim at 11 o'clock. What time was it? I found the clock on the wall and blinked. It was 10.57. Ah, crap. Sorry, Jim. I murmured as I pushed myself to my feet. My scotch glass was in my hand still. I had not slept well the last night. Nerves from the morning meeting and all. Between that and the scotch, I must have drifted off. That was one hell of a dream, though. I had not had a dream like that since I was a kid. I put the scotch glass back in my bureau next to the bottle and turned back to Jim and exhaled deeply. You ready for this, Ace? I nodded. Yeah, good to go. Let's... As I turned, something moved beneath my shirt, and I felt it thumping into my chest. What the hell, I said, and reached up to my neck. And I found a chain necklace there. My heart skipped a beat. Couldn't be. But it was. I pulled the chain out of my shirt and looked into the stone-inlaid gold disc that Bartleby gave me. Holy shit, I breathed. 
It really had happened. Wow, nice, Jim said, leaning forward to look at the emblem of the light more closely. What is that, an opal? Where'd you get it? I cleared my throat and lowered the chain back into my shirt. Um, yeah, Jill, I lied. She saw it on her trip to Sydney last week and thought it would be like it. Jim whistled softly. That girl's a keeper race. He grinned at me and then jerked his thumb toward my office door. Let's get the show on the road. I nodded and followed him out. The firm's conference room was located down the hall and to the right from my office. It was a standard conference room layout, a long table with chairs to accommodate all comers and teleconference microphone at each of them, a flat screen on one wall with a video camera mounted above it for showing presentations or conducting video teleconferences, a small table over to the side with workstation to control the presentation, and, of course, broad windows with a great view of the harbor. Jim and I were not the first to arrive. Linda and Jonas, my two direct reports, were busy putting the final touches on the room preparations, setting out glasses and pitchers of water, and getting the firm's welcoming presentation up and ready on the workstation. As we worked in, Linda noticed me and flashed me a quick smile. All set, she said. That's good, I began, but stopped, as voices in the hall drew my attention away. A moment later, Lawrence O'Toole, the firm's owner and general manager, walked into the room, leading a short man in an obviously tailor-made suit. I recognized Giobal Capano from the picture in his client file, but he made a much stronger impression in person. In his early 40s, he was bald, the kind of bald that spoke of frequent shaving with a straight razor more than natural hair loss, and slender, with a plain face that would go unnoticed in the crowd. He moved with an efficient ease that screamed of confidence and strength under control, and he wore an easy, knowing smile on his face, as though he saw something funny that no one else in the room noticed. I took all in at a glance, but froze, my heart beginning to pound in my chest as I noticed one other feature about him. His left ear was pierced by a silver earring that had what would probably pass for a black pearl embedded within it. But there was something not right about it. The pearl was more than black. It oozed darkness, seeming to suck in the light all around it, leaving the left side of Capano's face more shadowed than the right. The room felt suddenly cold and I swallowed. I knew without having to ask, the dark champion. My new client was the dark champion. Son of a bitch. Lawrence made introductions, and I remember shaking hands with the Capano and saying some nicety or other, but my thoughts whirled, and I was not sure what I had said. How the hell was this going to work? Capano was wealthy, obviously, and had a lot of contacts in some very influential circles. Getting his account and keeping him satisfied was going to be a huge boon for the firm. Word was he was here specifically because of my design reputation. It was flattering to hear that when Jim and Lawrence first told me about it last week, but now... Now, Capano's desire to work with me seemed more sinister. Could he have known? Nah, of course not. It was a coincidence, nothing more. Like Bartleby said, we were drawn to each other. Probably had been for some time without either of us really knowing it. It made me wonder how many of the other people I'd associated with over the years had been potential champions. That was a thought for another time, though. I needed to get it together and not screw up this meeting. Whether Capano and I were supposed to come to blows or, or whatever, it was not going to happen here, and I certainly did not want to mess this thing up with my bosses by screwing up this meeting. So I sat down with the others and listened dutifully as Jim took over his part of the introduction presentation. Then, after a few minutes, it was my turn. As I stood, my mind was still somewhat a whirl. Fortunately, this standard presentation was like second nature, because I had given it so many times in the past. So I spoke from my script and did my part, then introduced Linda and Jonas, who presented their curricula vitae, succinctly. Then all eyes turned to Capano. He was silent for a moment, his lips pursed in thought. And he smiled again and leaned forward, tapping the tabletop with his index finger. 
I've heard good things about this firm, he said. Then he directed his gaze at me, and his eyebrows lifted high on his forehead. And I very much enjoyed what you did with Kevin McIntosh's house in Miami, Mr. Williams. I blinked. Macintosh? This was one of the first houses I helped design, coming out of college, as a junior architect at a small firm in Miami. Macintosh was well off, but he did not come close to matching the wealth of the people who frequented my current firm. I never actually met him, and I was not entirely sure he would even heard my name at all, since the team leader got all the design credit. So how exactly did Capato know what I did on that job? All that flashed through my head in a second, and I simply smiled and nodded. Thank you. It was a good job to break into the business from. Capano smirked slightly and gave the briefest of nods. Then he clapped his hands and stood up abruptly. Thank you, gentlemen, ladies, he added with a nod toward Linda. It will be a pleasure doing business with you, I'm sure. Lawrence and Jim exchanged glances at one another from across the table and slowly stood. I understood their confusion. Usually these meetings lasted a lot longer than that. Lawrence cleared his throat and smiled professionally. We're looking forward to it, Mr. Capano. I'll have Jim get in touch with your office to schedule a follow-up after his team has surveyed your current residence and completed some initial sketches for your review. Capano waved a dismissive hand at Lawrence. Yes, yes, that will be quite satisfactory. He flashed a smile at Lawrence, then turned his eyes towards me. Would you give me a moment alone with Mr. Williams, please? Eyebrows lifted all around the table. Jim and Lawrence both turned to stare at me in confusion for a minute. The question was written all over their faces. What is going on between you and our new client, Ace? but they knew better than to ask. Lawrence simply said, of course, and gestured for the others to leave the room. He followed them out, only pausing to shoot me a glance that promised a grilling later, before pushing the door shut. I swallowed and looked at Capano apprehensively, but did not say anything. It was his dime. Let him talk first. He just stood there, his hands resting on the back of his chair, and looked at me with a sardonic, knowing grin. He went on like that for several moments, then he chuckled softly and walked over toward me. Well, well, he said. I must say, I never expected it would end up being a guy like you. His tone was amused, mocking, to match the grin on his face. Is that right, I stated, in as even a tone as I could manage. He knew me, just as I had known him on sight. That should not have surprised me, but it did. Capano nodded, and continued his slow, even pace around the table to my chair. You didn't worry, base, he said, putting a little extra mockery into my nickname as he spoke it. I won't pull your, the account from your firm over this. I see no reason we can't get along professionally. He reached the chair next to mine and then bent over so that his head was level with me. He reached out and gave my shoulder a companionable squeeze that was perhaps just a little bit too strong. Don't cross me, Ace. I'm not a man to be trifled with. He smiled then, a broad smile that could almost be mistaken for one of friendship except for the naked malice in his eyes. Are we clear? At his touch, a shiver of fear went up my spine. His grasp was cold and felt somehow unclean. It was also very strong. Clearly he worked out a lot, which was more than I could claim. But I had interacted with pompous, fit guys who tried to be intimidating before. Capano, though, looking into his eyes, I could tell he meant every word he was saying. I pulled away from his grasp and said, We're clear. I managed to impress myself by keeping my voice level. Capano nodded once, then turned and walked briskly from the room. I saw him nod to someone out in the hallway, Lawrence or Jim, no doubt, before the door swung shut behind him. As the door shut, tension flooded out of me in a rush. I slumped forward and rested my head in my hands, exhaling forcefully. Holy crap, I muttered to myself. This was going to get ugly. But then what did I expect when I agreed to do it? A walk in the park to the music of harps? I shook my head and took a deep breath and forced myself to my feet and smoothed my hair. 
This was not the time to lose it. Lawrence and Jim were waiting in the hallway as I stepped out of the conference room, concern and curiosity etched on their faces. Ace, Jim said, what was that? As I interrupted him with the quickest lie I could think of. He just wanted to ask us a question about the Macintosh house, how he could apply some of the designs into his. That's all. No problem. Eyebrows quirked upward again, and I could tell neither man was truly satisfied with my explanation, but I did not give them time to question me further. Excuse me, guys, I'm meeting Jill for lunch in 20 minutes, I said, which was totally true, but also a cop-out. But it worked, though. They did not accost me further as I walked away. I took a minute to grab my car keys from my office and hurried out. The firm is on the 10th floor of a commercial high-rise near the waterfront. I had a reserved parking spot in the garage beneath the building. A nice perk. As I drove into the late morning traffic, I asked myself where I thought I was going. I was supposed to meet Jill at Bernardo's, a nice little bistro in the outskirts of downtown, but the morning's events had left me without an appetite. Well, that was not entirely true. I was hungry, but not for food. I was hungry for answers. I tapped the Bluetooth control on my steering wheel and said, Call Jill. Jill answered on the second ring. Hey, handsome. Hey, babe, sorry, I'm going to not be able to make it for lunch. Something's come up here. As I spoke, I turned a corner ahead in the direction of the public library. What I needed was there. Probably. Oh, Jill responded. That's funny, I was about to call and cancel on you, too. Mario asked me to take over one of Dave's projects since he's in the hospital and I'm swamped. What happened to Dave? Appendicitis. Well, that sucks. I'll see you tonight and we'll talk about it then. Try not to pull your hair out. Yeah, right. She hung up as I pulled into the library's mostly empty parking lot. It had been a while since I spent any time in the library. These days, I did most of my research online. But it would probably be a good idea to not allow this research to be traced back to my home internet access. The library seemed a good, anonymous place. As I expected, they had a number of public internet access terminals in the back corner of the main reading area. The fee to use them was minimal, not that I cared either way, and the sign-up procedure was simplicity in itself. Within minutes, I was ensconced at a terminal. Geobald Capano. His name brought up several pages of search results. I was surprised to find one of the first was a Wikipedia article. That seemed a bit excessively pompous. It was good for me, though. I quickly learned more than I ever wanted to know about the man. He started out as a busboy in Palermo and gradually worked his way into some sort of local artsy circles. Somehow he convinced people to lend him money to buy a small building, which he refurbished into upscale apartments. From there, he acquired numerous other real estate holdings and branched out into venture capital. He invested in numerous startups and had become known as a savvy commodities trader as well. He hobnobbed with heads of state and celebrities of all kinds and was on the boards of several big-name charities. And as if that were not enough, he spoke Italian, English, German, Japanese, and Chinese, was a black belt in Aikido, played the violin, and was dating a supermodel. Yeah, that was not too intimidating. Not at all. On paper, at least, he seemed like a stand-up guy, pillar of the community, and all that good stuff. But there had to be more. He was not the dark champion because of his good deeds. I finally found it on the fifth page of search results. A story on a small news blog in Georgia. Two years ago, a local man had been hiking in the hills and stumbled upon a ramshackle old cabin in a sheltered valley. It was falling apart, but inside the man found an intact lockbox that held a number of old documents. He went on to sell it to a collector, Geobald Capano. There was a picture of the two of them shaking hands in front of a local bank where they had apparently sealed the deal. 
There was nothing, really. A tiny story about a very minor event. Besides historians, who cares, really, about a bunch of old papers? Yet the story leapt out at me. Even after I paged back to the search engine results list, that link, among all the others, seemed to pulsate, to glow, more than the rest of the monitor's LCD display. There was no rational way to know it, but I did. This was it. Something about this little deal, and really it wasn't so little, Capano had paid the man five million dollars, was central to what was happening with Capano and me. I printed out that article and went back to the office, stopping briefly for a Hardy's hamburger. I somehow managed to fend off the worst of Jim and Lawrence's questions with explanations that seemed lame to me, but apparently satisfied them. The rest of the afternoon, I tried in vain to get started on the design for Capano's house. I tasked Linda and Jonas with some of the basic designs, and then I sat at my desk trying to work on the overall plan. With the knowledge of who he was, the puzzle of the Georgia document purchase, and general angst over the entire situation left me unable to concentrate. I kept going over it all in my mind, but got nowhere. Finally, I left for a home, feeling frustrated and confused. I live about 20 minutes from work in the 10th floor corner unit of a condo building on the outskirts of town. Not the swankiest place in town, but it had a nice view of the downtown skyline and the rent was affordable. I had lived there for four years ever since I would moved up from Miami, and I did not see the point in moving just because I got promoted to team leader under Jim last year. My building had an offset parking garage with assigned spots, but I did not mind the short walk to the tenant's entrance. A little fresh air helped clear my head from a long day. The ride up the elevator was quick, and before long I was home, sweet home. I mixed myself a scotch and sat in a stuffed chair facing the window. There, I let my thoughts wander. What was so special about that find in Georgia, and how could it possibly pertain to the battle Bartleby described? I couldn't wrap my head around it. It's not like we were talking about a weapon or some monumental document that would undercut people's belief systems or reveal that the entire economy was a lie, sending it crashing to the ground, never to return. It was a mundane bunch of documents. But apparently it wasn't that mundane, otherwise Capano would not have paid $5 million for it. Crap. We were supposed to go by Capano's current residence tomorrow. His assistant was going to show us some of his favorite pieces of art, his furniture, and what have you that he wanted to accentuate in his new house. It might sound strange, but I'd seen wealthy clients ask for more ludicrous things than that. One guy in Miami wanted an entire bedroom built for his prize-winning chihuahua. He spent almost six figures on that room alone, so I had learned not to be surprised by any client's request. But Capano inviting us, in particular inviting me, into his home surprised me. It was almost like he was flaunting himself, daring me to take a shot at him. But that was silly. Why do that after warning me off in the conference room? Jill arrived home just then, breaking my chain of thought with, Hey, handsome, spoken in her melodious alto. I stood up to greet her, and we set about cooking dinner. Jill had a place across town, a nice little townhouse, but these days she spent more time here than there. I had not thought about it too much, or rather, I had avoided thinking about it, but we were getting to the point where we were going to have to take the next step soon. But... Not tonight. Tonight was for grilled fillets, garlic mashed potatoes, and greens. We spent a pleasant evening together, but I continued to be distracted by my new task and found myself making monosyllabic answers to Jill's remarks from time to time. She noticed, and asked what was wrong. I managed to satisfy her with an explanation about a stressful day at work, which was true, but I could tell she wanted to know more. Maybe later, when I figured out how to tell her without making her call for the men in white coats with straitjackets. Jill begged off spending the night. She had an early morning at work tomorrow. 
We say goodnight around 10.30 and I hit the sack. And I was unable to get to sleep. I tossed and turned for what felt like forever, my mind a whirl, still. What was I going to do? More than that, what was I supposed to do? Fatigue will win out over mental distress, though. I eventually drifted off and was not at all surprised to find myself in Bartleby's sitting room again. As before, the old man was rocking in his chair, making soft, creaking noises. Two steamy mugs sat on the table again, just like always. I wasted no time, but walked over and stood in front of Bartleby with my hands on my hips. Okay, Bartleby, you want to tell me what the hell I'm supposed to do here? All right, the plot thickens and we've met the bad guy. Bum, bum, bum. So the Dark Champion's the new client. That's kind of be awkward. Um, you know, stopping his machinations while not losing his job is going to be an interesting time for Tim. And what's up with those documents? And what's going on here? What do we got to do? Ah, oh, man, there's a lot to figure out. Not more still in the story. But you'll have to wait a week. So we come back for the next round of story time. Because we're right around uh, just a little under 20 to 30 minutes here on this one. I think that's a reasonable amount of time. Um, so like I said, come back next week. Hope you enjoyed uh, this interlude. If you can't wait, I'm like, oh my god, what's going on? I gotta know now. Hey, you can go buy the book. It's a shocker, right? It's available in ebook and in print too. And uh, you can get it through eyesight, or you can get it in every other place in creation. And that would be awesome. Or you can, you know, not do that. Just come back next week. Be sure to like, subscribe. If you want to say hi, drop by the website, kingswood.com and send an email. Or you can go to the Facebook page. But again, not been there much because I hate Facebook. And, uh, or just leave a comment on the video or the podcast itself. I always love hearing from you guys, and uh, we'll continue on welcoming that. Um, that's pretty much what I got going on today. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, please tell your friends, and come back next time. Till then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music, copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>